We are coming in a little late today, as you know, and we have a guest on the show, and it's our first sir, the first sir on the live and the lab business athlete performance lab podcast, Sir Darren Jacklin. And I think at this point in the show, I'm not going to say much more today because daddy's rattled over here. I'm going to bring in Sir Darren Jacklin. Sir, what's going on, man? I'm grateful to see you. And it's interesting when you have technology challenges, I always share with people that in life, we're either coming from a problem or in a problem or heading towards a problem. Problems are just opportunities in disguise. You can turn a crisis or a problem into an opportunity. That's what I do all the time. I solve problems and create businesses out of them and do quite well serving people across the planet. So never look at a problem as a negative, look at how you can turn it into an opportunity and how you can monetize it turning into income. Yeah, I never thought about it that way, but you're right. You're in the stage of a problem at some point in your life. And I guess it's just a measurement of how bad that problem is, right? Whether it's a massive problem, a little problem, or so Darren, are we ever not in a problem in life? Now, the thing is, you're, everything has a balance of, of people. The challenge is, it comes to the territory. You can go out and become the Prime Minister of Canada or the, the President of the United States of America, and half the population will vote for you, the other half the population won't vote for you, and the half the population will like you, the other half the population won't like you. And it's, it's a teeter-totter that you've got to balance all the time. And even if you have the best intentions and you come from heart and you come from integrity, because to me, without integrity, nothing works. People ask me all the time, they go, what do you think of so-and-so? I say, well, I live by a core philosophy that in life, time will either promote you or time will expose you. Oh, it's just a matter of time, whether you get promoted or you get exposed. So you can you can eat all the, you can do all the drugs or take all the crap junk food you want, or you can circumvent things or lie, cheat, or steal, and you'll get away with it maybe today. Maybe six months, a couple of years, but down the road, time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time. A few years ago, I got exposed because I was traveling almost 300 days a year globally around the world, eating a lot of airline food, hotel food, fast food, and that compounded well, me being on the road so much in different time zones and countries and continents to a point where I was statistically obese, and I was, I was 43 pounds heavier. And I realized one day I was in Niagara Falls, Ontario, Canada, speaking at a real estate conference just before COVID-19 broke out. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm in front of 1,200 people in a live audience. And we're also live shooting on the internet. And my brand new shirt that I just recently bought, the buttons were going to pop on my dress shirt. And I was so ashamed and so embarrassed. So when I got off stage, I went back to my hotel room, Keith, and I got upset. I, I confronted myself. I was mad at myself. And I was disgusted with myself in front of the mirror. I said, I don't want to live my life this way anymore. So when I flew back to Vancouver, Canada, I called up a couple people who are big in the hiking community in Vancouver and also go to the gym. And I said, I need to turn things around. This is unacceptable. I'm out of integrity with my health and fitness. I'm treating my body like a woodshed, not like a temple. I'm driving this human body, this meat suit around the planet as my vehicle, and I'm treating it like a rental car, like a renter wreck. And that was a turning moment for me in my life. So I always say to people, if you want to make a, a measurable, drastic change in your life, you've got to confront yourself, whether it's your finances, your health, your relationships, your job, your career, your business. You've got to confront yourself where you're so disgusted with yourself. Not that you go into a depression, but that you take a different course of direction of action. And that's the key thing is that you just get sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you can change. I've done it with my finances. I've done it now with my body. I just, just a couple months ago, summited Mount Kilimanjaro in Tanzania, East Africa, one of the seven summits on the planet, 19,340 feet in elevation, 5,895 meters. And in January 2025, I'm actually going to Antarctica, some beautiful continents on the planet, one of the coldest places on the planet, to actually summit Mount Vincent at 16,000 feet in elevation. 
So we all have different mountains that we want to climb. To me, it's about human growth and potential and really seeing as, as a human being in this short life on the planet, what can I do in a short, limited amount of time I can to stretch myself and then to also serve people and make a difference. So before we go any further, I got to pause. So Darren Jacqueline, a philanthropist, business and real estate investor who sits on the board of directors of EXP Holdings on NASDAQ of EXP, world-class speaker, as we all can tell. I love the energy, Darren, love the energy, frankly. Having trained over 1 million people in 50 countries, mentored entrepreneurs and businesses. He's been all over the place, been in organizations like Tiger 21, Family Office, Wall Street Journal. He's been featured as an international celebrity in the 2015 movie, The Treasure Map. Am I correct? Yeah, The Treasure Map movie, yes, came out in 2015. Went that, all over the world and- uh, That's awesome, yeah, well. that's awesome. Before we get into bringing business and athletics and, and why we're here today, let's get a little personal if we may. You're a sir. I've never talked to a sir before. Yeah. How did you become a sir and where are you a sir and why are you a sir? Yeah, good question. So I have over, just full disclosure, I have over 7,000 written goals for my life. And it's taken years to accumulate over 7,000 written goals. And I'm somebody who believes in writing things down on paper. Because even when you write things down on paper, it's like a contract. It's a written agreement. And so over the years, I've written things down. And back in 2011, I was visualizing and, and just playing around with like Sir Richard Branson, Sir Elton John, Sir Paul McCartney, these different men and, and different people around the planet. I, and I was just visualizing what would it be like if I became knighted as a Sir Darren Jaffer, like legally, like professionally and, and legit. And I just played around with it for a while through visualization. And yes. I actually wrote it down as one of my 7,000 goals. And I had no idea if it would ever come to fruition, ever come true. But I just thought, what if? I'll just speculate. What if? And so actually in over the last couple of years, I've traveled the world. I've been to a lot of charity events, fundraising events for our family foundation called Link Foundation, which is an international foundation. And met a lot of people. I've met ladies and dames and series of people from royal families and celebrities and professional athletes and movie stars and lots and lots of billionaires and lots of very influential, famous people around the world in different countries. And I got nominated by not one, but two people to the Royal Order of Cappadocia based in Spain. And uh, there's eight different categories for knighthood to be a sir, a lady, or a dame. And I was chosen and recommended under the two categories of philanthropy and business and entrepreneurship. And so there's over 400 people in the world that were nominated, just kind of like a Nobel Peace Prize. They get nominated. And then there's a whole selection and a review and discovery and due diligence process. It takes about four to six months that I went through. And so I got a telephone call and I thought, okay, great. And then my first thought was, how much is this going to financially cost me? It's a pay to play model where you want me to do this, but I've got to write a check to be part of this. And they don't know, it's not that. So I had a bunch of different interviews back and forth in person and virtually on Zoom video conferencing. And then in 2022, when I actually turned 50 years of age, I met with the Royal family and I, there was uh, out of the 400 plus people that were nominated, I got shortlisted then shortlisted then shortlisted. And out of the 400 plus people, they chose 24 people, men and women from around the world, all over the planet. There's two Canadians, a few Americans, and the rest are from all over the world internationally. And of the 24 people, there's 15 men and nine women. And so I am the next generation of knighthood of men and women, because if you look at Sir Richard Branson or Sir Elton John or Sir Paul McCartney as an example, these men are getting up there in their age, the late 70s, early 80s now. So I'm the next generation of knighthood. And so I took my oath in front of the royal family, in front of the royal order, and um, I'm grateful to to be received that knighthood um, honoring, and now it holds me to a higher standard of accountability, 
responsibility and integrity to humanity does open up a lot of doors and get you into different circles and different groups and different seats at different tables. But I'm a loving person. I love people. And so I like to take people with me. And so I'm a connector of people and I love to bring people with me and be part of different opportunities and make a difference. Because, you know, I understand my life, I'm 51 years of age where it's legacy building for me and I want to pay it forward and pass it on and create that ripple of impact in terms of serving certain humanity. So one of my big goals outside of, you know, our group of companies is global philanthropy and uh, through Link Foundation, which is our international foundation in Canada, the United States of America, and E2E, Elevate to Educate, we've committed to building 100 schools across the planet over the next decade and contributing $100 million towards global philanthropy projects. So we've got a high-performance team of men and women internationally who are highly accountable, responsible, and integral people who really want to make a philanthropic difference on the planet and touch, move, and inspire people and make a measurable impact. And so, yeah, I'm grateful to serve. And so I believe profit for people. I love to acquire businesses through acquisitions and mergers and grow and scale those companies with great teams of people and then do a liquidity event exit, take the cash, and then reinvest into other income-producing assets and then start the process all over. But I'm successful now, but I have a very unique backstory and a come-up story and a success story. So a lot of times people see the success stories when they do their research and due diligence, but they don't see all the adversities the failures, the challenges, the setbacks, the pain points, the frustrations I went through in my backstory. And I can unpack some of that if you want and give some life lessons and things about my backstory to really relate to your audience. Because when people hear my backstory, they're like, oh my gosh, you overcome those adversities and challenges? Like I've got nothing in my life compared to what you've got in terms of overcoming things. So success is a series of well-managed failures. I've learned to manage a lot of failures and adversities, but I've created opportunities out of those have served me well and served a lot of people as well. I'm speechless because I'm thoroughly enjoying the conversation. Darren, what did your family say when you told them you were going to be a sir? You know, just didn't believe it, you know, because I'm from Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, a small town of less than 20,000 people in the population. I barely passed public school. I failed grade one of public education in grade one, and I was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. And so I was put in from grade one all the way through to grade 12 of public school. I was in special education. I never went to regular normal public school. I was in a small classroom my whole entire life. I was put on a pharmaceutical drug called Ritalin when I was at a very young age in elementary school. And I was labeled when I did graduate from grade 12 in Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada, I was labeled as most likely not to succeed because I was a D student. And so I was able most likely not to succeed, never have a bright future, never amount to much in my life. And so a lot of people around me, when I showed them, because I was under confidentiality for about five months, I couldn't say anything to anybody. Uh, I was under a strict bound of confidentiality because I was under investigation and due diligence for knighthood. And so they were doing an, a social media audit on me. They were doing criminal background checks on me. They were doing reference checks on me. And they were doing a deep dive of discovery process and due diligence. So the only thing I could say when I was getting the phone calls and text messages and emails, they were like, Hey, why, why are these people contacting me to do a reference check on you? Or they're doing a profile on you. Why are they doing it? I said, well, I'm being interviewed right now for a bunch of different paid boards of directors or paid advisory boards, and they're just doing their due diligence on me. Oh, okay, no problem. And, and so I'm an integral person. So to me, long-term relationships and being relational versus transactional is very important. And a lot of people in society today, they wonder why their business isn't growing. And it's interesting. I'll give you an example, practical example on social media. I get people that will friend request me on different LinkedIn or Facebook as an example. And as soon as myself or my team accept the request, the friend request, boom, right in the inbox, here's a pitch to join some cryptocurrency or invest in some company. 
And it's like a one night stand. It's transactional. It's not relational. I don't know you. I don't like you and I don't trust you because I'm not spending any time building relationship equity with you. And so a lot of people, when they go to trade shows or conferences or seminars or workshops or networking opportunity or networking events, it's all transactional, not relational. And the key thing is, is to build relationships with people that get to know you, like you, and trust you. So I, I love hiking. I'm obsessed with hiking because hiking's transformed my life in so many ways in the last few years. And I go hiking all over the world. And I bring people with me from all walks of life. In fact, we do it as a fundraiser now through hikingfundraiser.com to build schools through our foundation. And I say, you know, listen, when you come out, don't pitch or sell people. Just listen, become curious and ask questions. Get to know people. Stop pitching and selling and start educating and informing people. I'll give you an example. Uh, a number of years ago, I was raising money. I was flat broke financially. And I was staying at a Holiday Inn hotel because it was a free continental breakfast. And I called up this accredited investor, this high net worth accredited investor. And he said, well, come to my office. Well, I had to make up an story and lie to him because I didn't have the money to pay for a taxi cab. We didn't have Uber back then. And I couldn't take public transportation because I didn't have the money. Like I borrowed money to get the airline ticket and, and to put some of the hotel and someone's credit card. And when I got to the hotel, I convinced the guy, the high net worth investor, to actually come to the hotel because I was going to buy him breakfast, which is not true. He arrived at the hotel that morning, and when he came into the free continental breakfast of the hotel at the Holiday Inn, he realized there were signs around the hotel for registered hotel guests only for continental breakfast. So I, I needed a check for $50,000, or we were going to go out of business with this startup company that I was involved with. And I needed the money. I was desperate. And, and I was hungry and broke. And so I, when he sat down, he said, listen, I've only got 45 minutes. I've got another meeting to got to go to. So I lunged into pitching and selling this guy and just threw up all over him with, with why he needs to invest with us and believe in us and write a check for us today and why he's not leaving without writing a check for $50,000. But 90 seconds into my pitching and selling, he, he said to me, Darren, you need to shut up. You just need to stop. He said, stop pitching and selling here. I'm going to walk out the door. You'll never see me again. He goes, let's just do one thing up front. For one thing today, I'm not writing you a check for $50,000. I'm out, 100% out, not interested in your opportunity. Too much risk for me. He goes, but I'm going to teach you something before I walk out the door. He goes, stop pitching and selling and start educating and informing. When you pitch and sell, you repel people versus attract people. When you educate and inform, you attract people because people become more curious and they want to dance in the conversation with you and they want to listen and ask more questions to get related to you. That one strategy, one life lesson, to stop pitching and selling, educating and forwarding, educating and informing, transform my life in terms of raising capital and building companies. Aaron, how old were you when you learned that moment? Do you mind me? I was about 38, 39 years of age. Yeah. I, I somewhat want to turn the tables of this interview that I figured I was going to be sitting here asking you all the questions, but I got to be honest with you. In many ways, we're the same story. I'm 50. Wow. I climbed Kilimanjaro. I bootstrapped a business from nothing, sold it for multi-millions of dollars and changed my life. I learned that I sold, 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 and talk, 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 talk. The moment I started listening and relating and informing and listening and building relationships, it started selling. I hike all around the world. I trek. I had Vincent in my plans until uh, pandemic happened. So, so hearing you speak, I, it, it is incredible. Uh, I'm down the road in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, where you, oh, grew, big many times. you grew up in Swift Current and now you're in Vancouver. So everybody listening, they're going, okay, these guys, this, this bromance going on. No, it's not that at all. I'm relating to you. And what I want our audience to listen to is that I'm, I'm going to throw this out there to you. I came from nothing. Sure. You came from nothing. <laughs> now I listen yes. to you speak. You are a highly respected highly successful individual who put his head down and went to work. I was not the most talented kid in, in the room. I was not the sharpest tack in the room. 
I had to learn to become the sharpest tack and I had to outwork everybody else. Would you agree yes, with that, absolutely. sir? 100%. It's interesting. I built a very successful corporate training company because I was, uh, you know, very low, low self-esteem, very insecure. I was suicidal. And I did multiple suicide attempts to end my life in Vernon, oh, British Columbia, Canada. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And yeah, my final attempt, I actually drove my car towards the telephone pole at 140 kilometers an hour or 85 miles an hour. And I stopped the car and said, I just can't do this. I got scared. So I drove to a nonprofit organization that does 24-hour telephone crisis line prevention for suicide. And I ran the doorbell and they, I said, listen, I'm trying to commit suicide. I'm turning myself in. So they brought me in. They started to offer me some counseling. And then this is back in the 1990s, a lady referred me to a Dale Carnegie training program. I didn't know what Dale Carnegie training was. So I went to a Dale Carnegie training program. It was a 12-week program. I signed up for it. And through there, I met another lady who was a school teacher who was into Toastmasters International. So she brought me out to a Toastmasters meeting, which is a public speaking leadership organization. They're global. And I went there, and I was so scared, so out of my comfort zone, terrified, just shaking. At the end of the Toastmasters meeting, they asked the guests to stand up and just say what they thought about the evening. Well, I stood up, and I, they asked me to introduce yourself. And we're all wearing name tags. Well, I was so scared and out of my comfort zone, I forgot what my name was. I had to look down at my name badge to remember what my name was. And one of the gentlemen in the group, Frank Kitchen, was 94 years of age at the time in our Toastmasters meeting. He said, that's why you need Toastmasters, young fella. You'll do very well. And I met some people in Toastmasters who believed more in me than I believed in myself. So they helped me believe, believe in me to build that internal guidance and confidence in myself. And I went on from there to get a job as a telemarketer from McLean's Magazine. I mean, and uh, I used to make a 400 cold calls a day, 2,000 cold calls a week, smiling and dialing for dollars, calling all across Western Canada between 5 and 9 p.m. selling magazine subscriptions. And after seven months, my boss came and said, Darren, this is a dead-end road. You can't go any further in this telemarketing division. I suggest you leave. Go get a stack of telephone books at the telephone marts. This is back in the 1990s. And I want you to start dialing from A to Z to every business in the phone book and start dialing. And I want you to start selling corporate training services because you're going to become a corporate trainer. He believed in myself. I was terrified because I was living paycheck to paycheck. And I needed that paycheck every two weeks from a telemarketing company that did work for McLean's Magazine. And so I left and I was scared. My back's against the wall. I had no cash reserves, no contingency plans, no lines of credits, no credit cards, nothing. Like I was, I jumped off the cliff and it's like, I'll, I'll build the airplane as I fly it. And I went from there to making over 100,000 cold calls from 1995 to the year 2000. Sometimes I was three, four, five months behind on paying my phone bills because there were thousands of dollars a month, right? Because mm -hmm. we didn't have the long distance phone plans like we do today in this competitive marketplace. Mm -hmm. And I was renegotiating with the telephone companies just to give me a break. Hey, listen, the money's coming in, the, the check's in the mail, right? And uh, sometimes I got my phone cut off. Sometimes, and I, and I went to a point where I had an R9 credit rating. And I'm, I'm very, I've made millions of dollars like yourself. I've made millions of dollars today in financial successful, but I had an R9 credit rating. And I'll, and I'll just show the people, people who know what Equifax is or TransUnion credit. So an R9 credit score metric is the worst possible credit score you can get on the metric system for, for credit score. It's the worst case scenario. Man, you can research it. And I had an R9 credit. I, I was once on homeless on the streets living on welfare, eating my next meal out of a garbage dumpster. So I know it's like to be flat, broke financially, not know where my next dollars come from, living in a first world country to have an online credit. I was so flat, broke financially, I went into Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada, 
to fly, to apply and file for personal bankruptcy back in my late twenties. And I went through the application process to file for personal bankruptcy. And the lady who was doing the bankruptcy process for me at the end, she says, okay, my fee is, I think it's 15 or 1600 Canadian dollars at the time. She goes, how do you want to pay? I said, well, I'll, I'll make payments over the next 12 to 18 months. She goes, no, 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 you got to pay today. I said, well, I don't have a credit card. My bank account's frozen and all my friends and family money, and they're not going to return my phone calls. And so I, I, I can't, I can't pay you your fee right now. She says, well, what do you have as collateral? I said, I have nothing. The car I got here, it's in the back alley because I couldn't afford to pay to park on the street in case you get a parking ticket. So I parked in the back alley and it's a friend's car. And I'm staying at a friend's house right now on his couch. That's where I'm living right now because I'm homeless. And I just came out of an app orchard. I was living in an app orchard. And she looks at me and she goes, well, Mr. Jacqueline, it's been great to meet you. You have a very inspiring story about your bankruptcy thing. She takes the file folder, she pulls it up, she hands it to me. She says, Mr. Jacqueline, I can't help you today. I said, well, how do I declare bankruptcy? She goes, Mr. Jacqueline, you can't afford to go bankrupt. You can't afford to pay the fees. And then she walked out of the room. And so people always ask me, go, Darren, did you ever go bankrupt? I said, I couldn't afford it. So I, here, 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 so when people look at when it comes to building financial wealth or generational wealth, and I educate people on this, and I share with people, I said, listen, I had an R9 credit rating. I was homeless living on the streets, living on welfare, my next meal of a garbage dumpster. I was so high risk that a pawn shop wouldn't even take me. Payday loan places wouldn't even touch me. Even money loan, people do high risk money loans wouldn't even touch me because I was too high risk back mm -hmm. in my 30s. Today yeah. I have phenomenal credit. Today I have lots of cash in the bank. I have lots of revenue streams. And I've committed $100 million in the next decade towards global philanthropy, right? So I share with people that if you can look at my backstory, what I overcome, the adversities, the challenges of having my bank account frozen, having my car repossessed, to being homeless on the street on welfare. I'll give you an example. So back in the 1990s, when I went to apply for welfare, I was so scared. I was in Vernon, British Columbia, Canada. And the lady who was the lady who worked at the welfare office, who did my application to apply for welfare, she just retired just earlier this year after almost 30 years of service with the provincial government of British Columbia. She reached out to me through Facebook Messenger just a few months ago. She says, I don't know if you remember me, but many years ago, back in the 1990s, you applied for welfare and I was your caseworker. I'm curious to know the next time you're in Vernon, British Columbia, Canada, if you would like to meet for lunch. I've read your book until I become, and I'm so inspired by what you've done. So I never realized back then that I had made an impression in this woman's life because I didn't want to be on welfare. I was the first person in, in Canada, I believe. It may have changed. But back in the 1990s, when I came off of welfare after a few months, I made a bunch of money. I went back to the welfare office and tried to repay back all the money to welfare plus 10% interest. And of course, they're not structured and set up that way, so they couldn't take my money. So I actually took that money and actually went to a REMAX office to a guy, and I and I, that's where I got my first in, my down payment to actually get a place to live because my bank account was frozen, and I couldn't give post-dated checks. So I've had my back against the wall, but one thing I've learned about all this adversity through financial pressures, and I encourage people to write this down, we do not have money problems in life. We do not have money problems in life. We only have thinking problems. There is no lack of money on this planet. There are two types of people. There's people who make a lot of money and people who don't have enough money. And they live paycheck to paycheck, which is 78% of the North American population. So, and the key thing is, it's never about the how. People always try to figure out, how am I going to do this? Because school teaches us how, how to figure things out. It's about the who. It's about all the people that are in your mobile phone. It's about building a network of people. Because as human beings, all we are is a network of conversations. You really, really, really want in your life is going to come from having conversations with people that you don't know yet. That woman or man in the grocery store lineup, 
that person at the Tim Hortons Donuts or the Starbucks coffee shop, the waitress at a restaurant, somebody sitting standing on an airplane or at the hotel that you're checking with. You just never know the next person that you're going to have a conversation with. And that's one thing about wealth. I've met some of the wealthiest people and had lunch dinner with some of the wealthiest people on the planet that are multi-billionaires to this day. And if you saw them walking down the street, you wouldn't think they make more than $60,000 a year. They don't drive all the flash. They don't have all the sizzle. They don't have all the bling. They're low profile, high impact. I was going to bring that up. This came up in a conversation earlier this week with, with Brian Clayton, who successfully started with a lawnmower and 20 bucks and turned it into a multi-million dollar business. Like that in itself is a fantastic story. But what he said next yeah. struck me. He said once he accumulated all the wealth and his Ferrari, he sold it all and recognized that he got caught up in the in the rat race of accumulating things. And, and you, you become kind of part, you know, one with the Joneses where you buy next year's Tom Ford, the next year's Tom Ford, the next year's Ferrari, and, and he hated it. So he became minimalistic and sold everything. So Darren, I ask you the same question. You have been successful. You've made a lot of money. You've had a lot of money throughout your life. Money becomes a way of, money becomes just an, an asset to you. What motivates you today besides philanthropy? Have, have you looked at minimalism? Is minimalism more of your life than today? And I'm going to suspect something we're probably very similar on. I was able to stay in the nicest hotels, drive the nicest cars, drive the greatest things. You know what I really loved is when I was able to go trek in Kilimanjaro and stay in a tent and drive my 1980 Jeep because that's really who I am. Like my Jeep is really what I am. The, the money in my bank account just helps facilitate things. My kids say, Dad, why don't you buy a new Jeep? Well, because it just this one sits here for eight hours a day. Why would I go spend money to have the money sitting there and depreciating? Because it's a really pragmatic approach. So the question I have for you is all the wealth you have, are you still very pragmatic guy from Swift Current, Saskatchewan? Yeah. So I drive a 2015 Honda Civic. There you go. I drive a 2015 Honda Civic. I have friends of mine that have all the Ferraris and Lamborghinis, all the luxury cars, but I drive a 2015 Honda Civic. That's what I drive. I do stay in the four or five star hotels. Like I used to stay at the cheapest hotels, the, yes. the Motel 6s, the Days in the Ramadas, the hotels. Yes. When I was coming up on building my corporate Today, because of when I'm in front of, if I'm guest speaking at an event or speaking to someplace, I got to have really good rest. And, you know, energy is very important to me. So I'll stay at a nice hotel like a Fairmont or Four Seasons yes. or Ritz Carlton or the West End, some of the best hotels in the city. I'll fly business class or first class, but usually I'm not paying for it. Uh, and I have the status with Aeroplan now, but I'll fly economy class as well. But I fit in, like a lot of people, I fit in like everybody. I don't stand out. I blend in with everybody. And I treat everybody. I, I talk to anybody. I don't care if you're the janitor, to somebody in housekeeping. I I relate to anybody from all walks of life. And I even connect with homeless people because I was once homeless. So I don't have that chip on my shoulder that I'm better than anybody else. I use money as a tool to serve humanity. I use it also as more options and ripple of impact to reach more people to serve people because my success is someone else's miracle. Yes. Well said. Well my said. My success. And I encourage people to become successful because your success can bless and be of service to a lot of other people. You can build that church. You can help the food bank. You can help that homeless shelter. You can help your kids' schools. There's so much you can do through ripple of impact because your success is someone else's miracle. But Darren, and, go ahead. But people don't know. How, so people want to have success. I have this conversation with all the guests, and I'm going to have it with you. People, people want to have success. Sure. People want to execute. In your lowest moments, you still executed. In the lowest moments, you still made 100 calls a day. In the lowest moments, you still made thousands of calls. Yet people still struggle to get up when everything is perfect to execute on a daily basis with the keyword being consistently Monday, Tuesday. And your environment. So I'll give you an example. When I, when I had no money, I would still go to like a nice hotel and use the lobby and use the free Wi-Fi internet. You know, Vancouver International Airport has a 
Fairmont Hotel there. Mm-hmm. And for years, I would I, I didn't have the money to stay at the Fairmont Hotel. So I would go on the Sky Train to the Vancouver International Airport, and I would sit in the hotel lobby, and I'd, I'd order a, a tea. Because it was a couple dollars for tea. That's all I could afford was tea. But I sat in that, that hotel lobby of the Fairmont Hotel, and they never bothered me in hotel staff because they just saw, okay, he must be a domestic or international traveler. He's going somewhere. They don't bother you. And I would sit there for hours and watch and observe people and make phone calls and network and, and connect. But I wanted to be in the environment because my environment is stronger than my willpower. So I, I drove around you know, different neighborhoods and saying, someday I want to live in that neighborhood. Someday I want to be able to eat in that restaurant. Someday I want to be able to uh, go to that event. I, I would go to concerts and I'd be up in the nosebleed seats, right? Cheapest seats up high up in the rafters using binoculars sometimes. I'm like, man, I just, whatever, what, what would it take for me to get down the first couple rows? And even at conferences and conventions, and one of the things that I did for many years, I would go to seminars and workshops. If I wasn't presenting, I would be a participant. And I would be in the back, uh, general admission tickets, because I couldn't afford VIP. And there'd be somebody on stage, I'll give me an example. There was a gentleman a number of years ago who was in Vancouver at the Sheraton Wall Center. There was a conference going on there. And I was in general admission, way in the back, right? A couple thousand people in the room. And this guy was on stage from Toronto, Canada. And he was an older guy. He's, I don't know. I, I've got a communication with him now. But anyways, he uh, owned a whole bunch of companies. He's very successful, very wealthy, owned a group of companies. And he was on stage and he was so practical with his, with his sharing. Like he was giving me nuggets of things that I could actually write down in my notes, in my journal, and actually execute and apply so what I did was I, I applied it and I made a bunch of money over the next couple of months. And so I contacted his office and I got their mailing address and I sent them a money order in the mail, I sent them a money order. And a while later, I got a telephone call from the finance department of this guy's company in Toronto, Canada. And they were confused because I wasn't onboarded into their system. And so they had no, they didn't know who I was. And they're like, who are you? Why are you sending this money order to us? And what's the purpose of this money? And I said, well, months ago, I was at this seminar workshop in Vancouver, Canada. I was in general mission. And the gentleman who was the founder and CEO of this company was on stage. And he was, he was being interviewed. And I learned so much from him that I wanted to pay him for what I learned. I wanted to come in on my, my winnings, my opportunities. So she's like, wow, no one's ever done this before. This is a little strange, a little weird. She goes, is it okay if I tell the founder of the company this story? She says, yeah. She says, okay. So anyways, a week or so goes by, I get a phone call from this executive assistant. Hi, this is so-and-so from Toronto, Canada. I'm the executive assistant to so-and-so. He would like to set up a 15-minute call with you. When do you have some time available for him to have a 15-minute call with you? So I get on the phone with this guy, and he wants to know a little bit about my backstory and who I am. So I just share authentically with him who I was. And he says to me, he says, do you do any on-site like seminars, like where you come to do like corporate retreats? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, listen, he said, uh, I got a budget of $15,000. We'll, we'll fly you Air Canada business class from Vancouver to Toronto. And he said, well, I think it's $15,000 to put you up at the Paramount Hotel in downtown Toronto. And uh, we'll fly you in. So this guy ended up paying me $15,000 for the day to do a corporate training retreat for his staff. And all of that, and that was not my intention. My intention was just to thank him and acknowledge him because what I learned, same thing when I'd read books. I'd read books and I'm like, man, this is gold in this book. Man, I only paid $25 for this book, but look what I'm getting for, for the information. So then I would I would find out the author's contact information and send the author a check for, for a bonus of saying, listen, here's $500 or here's $300 or a couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars. I read your book and this is what I took away from the book. And I just want to say thank you. And that opened up so many doors of opportunities for me. But that was not my intention. My intention was just to give a bonus to cut the person in because I was shifting my mindset coming from lack and scarcity to coming to abundance and prosperity. 
And so that was a shift in my mindset. There's abundance and prosperity. And so like what I, I've even done now, like when we have people refer us business, we send them referral checks and refer, referral fees and be like, why you send this to me? Because, because you refers to us. Okay. I didn't expect you to send me a check. Well, if you want, you can just tear it up or you can give it to uh, your church or food bank or whatever you want to do with it. It's up to you. You can give it to your next door neighbor. It's up to you. But we just want to make sure that everything's win, win, win. And so that's kind of abundance and prosperity. And what I learned was when I would go to restaurants, I'd always read the menu from right to left. How much do things cost and what do I want to order? And I made a decision when I turned 40 years of age. I said, I want to be able to walk into a restaurant and read the menu and not see how much it costs. I want to be able to go to a movie theater and look at ordering popcorn and not say, oh my gosh, how much is that bucket of popcorn at the movie theater? Gas station, you go to the gas pumps and look at how much I want to fill my gas tank up and I'll think, oh my gosh, how much is it going to cost me to fill my tank up? And so this is shifting my mindset from lack and scarcity to abundance and prosperity. But I was paycheck to paycheck, right? But what I realized was how you make more money was by solving a problem. How can I solve a problem? So when I work at jobs and I hear people complain in the lunchroom, okay, everybody's complaining about this. Okay, great. Crisis or opportunity. Most people are in crisis with it. They're complaining about it. I'm like, okay, how do I turn this into an opportunity and monetize and get paid for it, create a revenue stream out of it, and then work it to eventually becomes passive versus active. And that's what I would do. And then the thing is, when, when you're flat broke, and I've been flat broke more than once in my life, in my past, the key thing is when, when, I, when I wasn't succeeding, like, like I'll give you an example, like even right now in my life, I don't feel like, like people always say, oh my gosh, Darren, you're successful. I said, no, I'm just a man on a mission. I'm just a man on a mission. So what I do is I'm always getting around people who are playing at a higher level than me. So if I have a challenge or setback, whatever it is, my challenge or setback is nothing compared to the person who's playing a bigger game than me is. So I always get around people. So if, so the thing is, like, I remember one of my mentors one time, I was flat broke and I went and met with one of my mentors. And he said to me, he says, Darren, he said, I want you to write on paper your five closest friends that you spend the most amount of time with. So I wrote down the names. He goes, listen, these four, four or five other people that you hang out with, he says, you hang out with four broke friends, you're the fifth. I'm like, yeah, I am. Because we used to always borrow money off of each other. But then when I started getting around people who had lots of income coming in through multiple revenue streams, because rich people don't work for money. That's something I grew up with. I, that was my belief system for many, many years, that rich people work for money. Oh, they're just greedy. They work for money. No, rich people don't work for money. Rich people, wealthy people, affluent people work to acquire monthly recurring revenue. They work to acquire income-producing assets, right? So like I, I drive a 2015 Honda Civic. Why? Because I can. It's got 200,000 kilometers on it, but it doesn't cost me anything other than maintenance mm-hmm. and, and insurance. And I can go drive a luxury car trying to impress other people who couldn't really care less. But I'd rather put that money into buying income-producing assets that produce cash and then goes towards building schools for some of the most impoverished children on the planet and making a difference, creating a legacy. I can, I can go out and borrow a luxury car from somebody. So that's the key thing with myself is just priorities, but it's also freedom. You know, I, I don't want, I want to have freedom. I like to have independence. I want to go wherever I want, whenever I want, whoever I want, whenever I want on my terms. But I want options and I want choices. And I see a lot of people who try to impress other people by buying stuff, buying liabilities, buying doodads, as Robert Kiyosaki calls it, this home game called Cash Flow Quadrants and Cash Flow 101. But it's, the key thing is, is, is low profile, high impact. In conversation with Darren Jacqueline, live in the lab with myself, Keith Bellis. Darren, be vulnerable with me right now. When you yeah. look in the mirror, who do you see? I see myself now as somebody I'm very proud of, somebody I am grateful for in my life, and somebody who has come a long ways. And somebody who is just beginning his journey of really discovery. Because I used to look at myself and say, man, you're never good enough. You're not smart enough. You're never going to amount to much. But now I'm grateful. And I think that come from 
Kilimanjaro was a big thing for me. It was like a spiritual experience for me because it was something I never imagined myself ever, ever doing. Like I, I, I just, a buddy of mine said, you need to come with me. I'm celebrating my 40th birthday. I'm like, 100% no. It's like, you need to come. And so I think when I look at myself in the mirror now, like just in the last couple of months, I've committed to doing 100 pushups a day and I have alarms that go off on my phone and I and I drop and do pushups. Well, I never imagined myself doing pushups, but now my body's changed. And I've released a lot of weight. I didn't lose that. I released weight. When you lose weight, you go look for gone for good or gone forever. Good for you. So now I'm naked in front of the mirror. I'm acknowledging myself. I'm proud of myself. I'm excited for myself because I really see myself in this meat suit of who I am and how I can serve people and make a difference in the world. So I'm grateful for myself. But there was a number of years in my life that I was not proud of myself. I was disgusted with myself because I, I believe those labels and the negative self-talk, the mind in my head, than who I was. But today I'm grateful for who I am. And I'm grateful that what I've come to be in this, this who I am. And, and I do a lot of nighttime hiking. I go hiking and people say, why do you nighttime hike? Cause it gets me into the present moment. It gets me into the now because you're daytime hiking. There's so many things to look at the beauty of nature. But when you're nighttime hiking, you're in this moment right now. And everything is so quiet and everything is so still at nighttime. Have and I really enjoy that. It gives me great joy. Have you ever gone on a nighttime safari with lion and tigers and elephant that is an experience where you're in the middle no, no, no. i've done daytime so far but never nighttime i've so done far. daytime did nighttime last year in kenya i'll take you next year we'll talk about that in a few moments but, I, but but that that is an experience where you really find yourself you're under the stars and the moon and in front of you are these wild animals and you're really in, in with nature and you really spend time to reflect but i want to talk about your experience with kilimanjaro because i can reflect upon it with you i was going through a period in my life I was, was going I was going through divorce and I was going through all of those emotions financially emotionally everything that I was going through during that period of time that mountain was a catalyst for me it was a metaphor for mm-hmm. me and I wonder if it was for you as well and it was a physical representation of what I accomplished moving from yesterday because on the other side of that mountain when I started well that was behind, like that that's actually physically behind me I walked up that mountain and down it that changed my life Darren Yourself. Yes. Yeah, so I trained for a year for Kilimanjaro. Mm-hmm. For Kilimanjaro, 60 miles a week. I, I did all kinds of scenario planning, best case scenario, likely case scenario, worst case scenario. And I was in Whistler. I was all at Whistler, British Columbia. I was in snowstorms, ice storms, hailstorms, all kinds of weather. And I, I have a hiking group in Vancouver and about 130 people in the group. And, and people say, I'm going to be there. And nobody would show up. I'd be myself. And uh, it'd be middle of the night or early in the morning and bad weather. And I'd still go because I had to prepare just in case contingency planning that if I remember in Kilimanjaro. So I get to Kilimanjaro and I, we had, so there's 20 climbers in my group, 10 mountain guides, two medical people and, and 70 porters. So a total of 110 people in my group, big group. And the first day we're on the mountain, I'm like, my gosh, we're going so slow. Like pulley, pulley, right? I'm, so my bracelet, slow. yeah. And I got triggered. I got triggered. I got impatient and I got, I got aggressive. And, I'm, and I said to one of the guys, listen, we need to speed up. I didn't, I didn't fly halfway across the world and spend all this time and money and energy to come here to go this slow. Like I'm walking like we're in preschool. I trained a year for this. And my guys are like, you need to slow down, pulley, pulley. And I'm like, do I, do I cut this group and go on my own and then meet at, at camp? Or do I, do I hang out with everybody and go so slow? Like we're, like we're walking backwards in a slow meditation. So I'm impatient. Like I am not in the present moment. I am frustrated. I'm impatient. I want to get it done. I'm a results-oriented person. So I'm getting tested with my impatience. I'm triggered. And my one guy, Angela, she's like, Darren, you need to just breathe and slow down and be in the present moment and trust the process. And she's just, you need to trust our guides. I'm, I'm independent. I can take care of myself. I've trained for this. And the first, second day, 
as we started to elevate and climatize, I started to notice some people in the group that were going faster. They, they, they were having some altitude challenges. Now, it's interesting. My guides told me on day one of Kilimanjaro that some of these people that were very athletic were passing us. They're like, they're not going to summit on night five. Why would you say that? I'm, I'm totally in disagreement with my guide. Say, well, that person's like very physically like an ultra athlete, like a marathon yeah. runner. Yes. Because here I'm thinking in my mind, if you're really ultra fit, no problem summiting Kilimanjaro. If you're overweight, you're not going to summit Kilimanjaro. Wait, I have a wake-up call. Because I saw a night five on summit night, right? It was minus 15 degrees Celsius, freezing that night, mm-hmm. lots of dust. Mm-hmm. And I saw people groups who, who were really athletic didn't summit because of high altitude sickness, diarrhea, vomiting, nausea. And I saw people that I would never bet money on or believe in summit killing Joe because they're going very slow, yeah. steady, and consistent, pulley, pulley, and they were acclimatizing their body. So that was a huge aha for me, realizing how I had judged people based on their athletic ability of how they would summit. So how did it was you, not true. How did you bring pole pole back to life and back to business? Because I did, because I, like I said, I swear, Roland, producer Roland, if you're listening, I'm talking to my mirror right now. Like you're, I'm just listening to you. I'm like, yeah, I keep this on my wrist. It's all broken and tasseled. And my wife's like, take that thing off your wrist. I'm like, no, the, the, the idea of slowing down is really meaningful to me. And as I've aged in life, probably like yourself, it's even more meaningful, right? Because I really can be more aware and I can capture more the slower I go, even though I'm going faster. And as we know, as we get older, we go fast, time goes fast enough as it is. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So people are guides on the mountain. They live, you know, they spend a good majority of their life on Mount Kilimanjaro. That's their life. That's their, that's their living. Right? Yes. And I really learned that these people compared to our standards in North America living in the first world, they have nothing like how we live. Right. But they're so knowledgeable and influential because they know that mountain very well because they live on that mountain. Yes. Yes. So their career as a mountain guide or as a porter. And I really gained a lot of respect and appreciation of gratitude for these men and women that are porters and guides. And I still, through WhatsApp, keep in touch with them and through uh, social media. We message frequently back and forth. I was just talking with one this morning, actually. I'm planning something for next year. I want to be mindful of time. We started the show late. We're doing a live stream. We started at noon central time. We always schedule an hour. I, I would love to have you for a few extra minutes if you did have the time. But if not, I can also sure, appreciate absolutely. that. I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying the dialogue with you. Uh, because we haven't even got a chance to get you get you some plugs out there for what you're working on so that our audience can get some real I'm just really I'm, I'm enjoying the personal chat and I really wanted to keep things differently with this show because sure. I'm sure you do the podcast circuit and some of the stories become somewhat the same I think we're trying to just kind of, kind of take a different slant on things you said something a few minutes ago which struck me I met with Joel Yee one of the guests last week and uh an inch great story as well he talked about how when he discovered the gym he discovered his confidence and how he felt mm-hmm. when he walked into a room. He said, like, I'm a little guy, but the fact that I started training, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing. He said, when I started training, I noticed that I walked into conference rooms and to meetings, I felt stronger. My shoulders were out. I felt more like I was a superhero. I felt, so when I heard, you said some of those similar things that when you went to release your weight and you started training and you got stronger, you started feeling better. And I, and I always talk to people who are aspiring to be business athletes who are, or who are business athletes it's that captured feeling of, of how you feel when you train in the morning or train during the day, and it sets your day with those, just the feeling of strength. Can you talk about that a little more, Darren? Because you brought it up earlier. Yeah. So one of my first hikes was in North Vancouver, British Columbia, yeah. called Deep Cove. Okay. It was a cold quarter. And I called up two of my friends to go up there. And normally you have to go up 45 minutes to an hour, right? 
And my first time going up was two hours and 40 minutes. Okay. I get to the top and the two people I was with were realtors. So they had to leave to go do open houses. They left me at the top of this quarry rock, this hike. And, and kids in elementary school could do this hike. I'm at the top of this hike and I'm completely out of breath and out of shape. I'm thinking to myself, this is 48. I'm age 48. Mm-hmm. It's a few years ago. I'm 51. So I'm up there and I'm thinking to myself, I don't want to call 911. I'm embarrassed and scared. And I don't want to call search and rescue. How the heck am I going to get back to the parking lot? Right? I'm all by myself and I'm I'm exhausted in this little hill. So I sit there and I just tease and tease and I'm looking around and I'm just de-stressing myself. And finally, I start walking back. I get back to the parking lot, open my car door, my Honda Civic, and I look at myself in the rearview mirror and I say, I don't want to live my life this way anymore. And today I go hike that hill now and I get up there and back in about an hour. And so it changes. And so when I look at my life now, like, you know, 18 months ago, if you would have said, hey, we're going to do Kilimanjaro, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't have the mindset, didn't have the belief system. Like, you're talking to the wrong guy. Like, why would you even bring it up to me? You know I'm not an athlete. Yes, yes. And it completely shifted my mind. But what I felt was, so the first day I go to a gym, just a couple of years ago, I go to the gym, and I'm watching this girl go up and down the Stairmaster thing. And I'm watching her because I'm very visual, and I like to see how she's stepping. And I fell off the treadmill and broke three ribs. First day at a gym, ever in a gym, broke three ribs, Right. And people thought I was checking her out. No, I was watching her strategy on what she was doing because I was fascinated about how fast she'd go up and down this Stairmaster thing. Yeah. But then I got, after I hit up with my ribs, I, I, I started doing the Stairmaster. I thought, this is boring in a gym because if I go out and I hike out in nature, then when I get to the top, I've got a view and I feel like I've got some progress and I've got some results. But in a gym in 45 minutes on a Stairmaster, I don't feel the same effect, the same results. And so what I do, what changed my life, what changed my life, Keith, was creating structures. So I live by my counter. I always say to people, if it's not structured in your counter, there's no evidence that exists in your life. Yeah. So, 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 so the, yeah. The great Vince McMahon. I show everything in my calendar. And now, rather like Chip Wilson from Lou Lemon, founder of Lou Lemon, Chip taught me this years ago. Chip, Chip, if you want to meet Chip, he'll take you to the Grouse Grind in North Vancouver. And you got to hike the Grouse Grind on Grouse Mountain. So now when I travel, like tomorrow, I fly off to Las Vegas. I'm in Las Vegas for a week for a real estate conference for one of the boards of directors I serve on. And I've got people that want to meet with me. So I'm actually taking them hiking around Las Vegas. Got access to a rental car. And we're going out and we're going to have a couple hour hike. And so I'm getting physical fitness, being in nature, all that stuff. We'll have an inspiring conversation. But also being hiking, you get a chance to learn people. Because you mentioned earlier about being vulnerable, right? When you're golfing, you can put on the game mask and you can pretend and stuff like that. When you're hiking and you're out in nature, I had somebody recently said to me, go, Darren, are we going to see any wild animals? I said, yeah. Which ones do you want to see tonight? And so be like, I'm scared right now hiking with out in nature. I'm like, well, no one's, I'm no one's wild animals. He said, listen, here's something to take as a life lesson. The fear might be real. So feel the body sensations, the sweat, the anxiety, the stress, your heart beating faster. Feel that. That's just your body. Just acknowledge it. So the fear is real, but the threat is not. So what I've learned in my own life now is like from climbing Mount Kilimanjaro and now going to do Vincent Massoff in, in Arica in January 2025 is just like really like I'm unstoppable what I can do. It just gave me a whole different shift and perspective on life really that I'm so much as mental toughness and mindset, but doing that and thinking, wow, I've actually accomplished something very few people on the planet will ever, ever do. And so I, I encourage you to always take on pushing yourself out of your comfort zone, into your learning zone, and getting around other people because you're around other people that are doing things that build your confidence and your belief that it's possible it can be done. Darren, athletes use the power of visualization for success. They see themselves holding the yeah. cup. I, I, I tell my son who plays hockey all the time, visualize the next shift because you've done it a thousand times. 
I can tell you're a visualization person. You've mentioned it a few times. I I visualize, I I can, as I age, I feel like it's even easier to visualize into the future because you've done the past so many times. You're like, oh yeah, I know how Christmas feels or yeah, I know what October feels like. To somebody listening in the business world, an aspiring entrepreneur or even an executive who's still kind of working working his or her way through life or their, their way through life, the benefits of visualization, talk how they power you as a business person. Yeah. So when I first started, I didn't, I had so much self-talk going on and mind chatter. It was hard for me to sit still and visualize because I had a lot of fear, doubt, worries, and insecurities. So what I would do is I'd walk into a public library because just walking into a public library, I felt smarter. I'd walk around just looking at the books and I felt smarter. I'd walk into a big bookstore and I felt smarter. If I want to feel intelligent, I'd walk by a law firm. If I want to feel more financially prosperous, I'd walk down to the financial district in Toronto or Vancouver or New York or different places. Or I'd walk by a financial firm or talk to people in the financial industry. I felt smarter walking around. So that's why I started to visualize in the early days because I couldn't sit still to visualize it in my mind. And then as I grew in my self-confidence and my belief in myself, and one of the ways I built my self-confidence to get to visualization was committing to my commitments. So we hear in the business world that talk is cheap, but I think most people cheapen their talk because their words have no power because they don't understand what I'm about to say. Your words create your world. Your words create your world, right? You and I can get to know each other and, 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 I can, and we can meet 20 times. And 19 of the 20 times, I'm here on time or I'm here early. The one time I'm late, I don't show up, but I'm forgiven because I have a consistent track record of always showing up and being on time. Most people don't understand the power of their word. Their word is their integrity. And without integrity, nothing works. There's no workability. And so when it comes to visualization, what I realized was and how I built my confidence and, and decreased the level of negative self-talk and mind chatter in my head was that every day when I would say I was going to do things, I would follow through and do them, do complete work, commit to my commitments. And what I realized was putting everything into my calendar and creating the structure with reminders and then setting audible alarms on my iPhone. And when I started to be consistent with setting my calendar up and, and committing to my commitments, my confidence got built, and then I started to visualize much more easier. But in your case, it was very hard for me to visualize because I had so much self-doubt because I couldn't keep my commitments. I'm like, oh, well, I don't believe this is going to happen, visualizing this car or this trip or this travel, because I can't even keep my commitments to myself. So what I did was I backed it up and said, okay, how do I start keeping my commitments? So that whatever I give my word to, I follow through and I complete it. So today, now in my life, I'm to me, early is on time and on time is late. So to me, I always have my alarms and my, my counter and I have transition time set in place. And then that started to build my belief and my confidence in myself. And then also too, when I'm out of integrity, if I give my word to something and I don't follow through and honor my word, then I call that person up and I said, listen, do you have a moment? Listen, I need to restore my integrity with you. I gave you my word. I'd have this done to you by this date, this time, by, by when, and I didn't follow through and get that done. And I just need to let, I need to find out, first of all, what's the impact on you, right? Because there's an impact in your world. Something by my inaction has caused an impact on you. It may mean you don't trust me. You think I'm flaky, unreliable, all that stuff. I see that with hiking. I have people come out and they're like, oh yeah, I want to meet with you because they want to raise money for a business or they want to run something by like, okay, let's go hiking because they want to meet in a restaurant or a coffee shop. Let's go hiking. So then we can show up to the hiking location. They don't show up. There's no text message. There's no phone call. There's no voicemail. There's no email. I call them and their phone call, the phone call goes right to voicemail. I text them. There's no response. Then a couple of weeks later, they follow up and they're like, hey, can we go, can we get together? I'm like, well, let's clean up your out of integrity first that you're stepping over right now. See, behavior never lies. 
Behavior never lies. And so I watch people's feet, not their lips. Watch people's feet, not their lips. And so when it comes to visualization, a lot of people find it very difficult because they can't even keep their word because their, their word means nothing. Their word has no power. And when people start taking on and realizing that, wow, what I give my word to every day, if I just start to notice my word, it's interesting. People ask me all the time. I get calls all the time. Like you probably do as well. Like, hey, Darren, I need to hire a coach. I get some guy called me up. I need to hire a coach. I said, well, are you married? Yeah. Your greatest coach in your life is the woman that you're in a relationship with. She's your greatest coach. She knows all your strengths. She knows all your weaknesses. She knows your insecurities, your fears, your doubts, your worries. She knows your blind spots. She knows you very, very well. She's the greatest coach in your life. Tatiana, the partner in my life, is my greatest coach in my life because she knows everything about me. She knows how to push buttons. She knows how to trigger me, all those things. But she knows all my blind spots. So now when she's giving me feedback, I'm open to receiving it. Sometimes it's uncomfortable and it's painful, but I'm open to receiving it. And by taking on this trained development with all this stuff, it allows me to visualize very easily now because I know that if I start to visualize, I can keep my commitments and my word to myself because my words create my world. Last question, Darren. The power of being authentic. It's clear to me that you are an authentic soul and that what has helped you elevate yourself. It's what's helped you be and have that be a man of integrity. People struggle with being authentic. Talk about the power of being authentic, Darren. Yeah. So what I do with men sometimes, you know, if I say the word vulnerability, they'll like, they'll climb up. They'll say, Hey man, let's just do the real stuff, man. What's really going on? At first I felt exposed. I felt naked. Yes. And all my cards on the table. Oh my gosh, we're going to think about me. Am I going to blow up this deal or this opportunity? Are people going to run out of my life? Well, what I found was people will. Some people will. The inauthentic people will leave, but the real people will come into my life. And I just found so much peace. Yes. Honest, being authentic to me created a lot of weight off my shoulders. And I just, I have a lot more peace in my life. It's the best way to describe it. I have a lot more peace and just solitude. Just, just, it's just, it's just flow. It's peace. Darren, would you agree, Darren, that the more authentic you are, the more success you've had? Yeah. Seriously, you say that because I find that when I go out and I guess speak at places, when I talk about my backstory, my adversities, my failures, my challenges, people can relate more to me by my my backstory than they can my success story. Yes. Because when I was, I go to a seminar in my early days and I see some guy on stage and he's talking about some new car or some new watch he bought. And they go, so man, I'm just trying to figure out how to pay my rent on time. I'm paycheck to page. I'm trying to figure out how to pay my rent, man. Like, I don't have a 500 extra bucks here, man. Like, and this guy is talking about doing some, buying some watch for $50,000. I couldn't relate to him. So I, I find that you just, I, I relate more to people by just being authentic and talking about when it comes to success or entrepreneurship business, there's a lot of challenges and adversities that go behind the scenes. Things don't always work out, right? But people always sell the sizzle. I'd rather show people off what's really going on. Behavior never lies. It's probably the same reason you drive a 2015 Civic. I drive my 19, whatever it is, Jeep, because I relate more to that, to, to my mom and dad's audience, the blue collar worker, because that's where I'm from, than I do driving my orange Tesla Roadster that's covered in the garage and has been driven for years because I look at it and I'm like, ah, oh, it's loud. I gotta, I just, it makes me feel kind of, I don't, I don't know what I mean. So I, I, I can understand that feeling of authenticity. So Darren Jacqueline, before we say goodbye, what would you like to plug? What have I not asked you? What have we missed? What is a message you would like to leave the audience? Any questions for me? Last word goes to you before we say goodbye for a Friday. Yeah, two, two quick things. One is I'd like to create a, a bonus opportunity for people as an invitation to take on an exercise. And this exercise transformed my life. There's two questions you can write down. Question number one is, where am I not requesting in my life? Where am I not requesting in my life? Then question number two is, 
who do I become when I'm not making requests? Who do I become as a person when I'm not making requests? Because all we are is a network of conversations. I talk about this in my book, Until I Become. If you want to order the book online, untilibecome.com, or go to Amazon, Until I Become, it will talk about it more in the book. But I talk about the power of making requests. Because for every question that we don't ask, the answer is always no. And I make a lot of requests because they're outrageous requests, unreasonable requests, powerful requests, or just a request. But the key thing is, is about making requests. And when we make a request, people will do one of three things. They'll accept the request, they'll decline the request, or they'll counter offer the request. So just make lots of requests and let people powerfully choose whether they accept, decline, or counter offer. So question one is, where am I not requesting my life? And question number two is, who do I become? I don't make requests. If you want to learn more, you can learn about that in the book, Until I Become, which is an international book. The second thing is that if people want to do things in life, they want to make a difference in people's lives, go to hikingfundraiser.com and put in your contact information and get on our mailing list. And we do hikes across North America. We bring people from all walks of life all over North America. And the fun thing about that is you get a chance to be in community, having shared experiences. And the money we collect through registration and corporate sponsorship at hikingfundraiser.com, that money then goes to Link Foundation. So you get a tax receipt if you live in the United States or Canada. And we created a building 100 schools across the planet for some of the most impoverished children on the planet. Did also decrease human and child sex trafficking and organ harvesting, bringing clean drinking water, and provide education for the next generation. So you'll get a chance to actually have your fingerprints on a school that you'll come out to hike for a cause but that hike will then transfer into actually you helping be part of building a school for a few hundred children that will make a ripple of impact around the world. And if you want down the road a few years, you can come by and do a humanitarian trip and actually see and meet the children, meet the families of these schools through Link Foundation and through E2E, which is Elevate to Educate. So I'd rather bring people on. So I'm plugging these experiences. If you want to learn more knowledge, get the book Until I Become. It will have a huge impact in your life. It's less than 100 pages, but it's a practical book. There's no fluff or fill in the book. And I share practical things that I did and how I overcome my life to get to where I am today. And if you want to have an experience and hang out with other really cool people around the world and be in a different environment that will change the, you change your environment, you change the conversation, you change your life. Okay. So if you want to change your life, start changing your environment, start changing the conversation. Because most people talk about the news, weather, sports, and traffic. We don't talk about news, weather, sports, and traffic in my circles. We talk about what, what really is a desire for you in your life. What do you really want to accomplish? What, how are your kids doing? How is your health? How is your finances? How is your life? Like we get into enriching, inspiring, collaborative conversations that are deep, meaningful, and memorable. And we do that at hikingfundraiser.com. And yeah, I'd love to have people come out and have some experiences with me. That, that's absolutely exceptional. So you heard it from Sir Darren. Untilibecome.com. If you want to get closer to Darren, get, get into his mind sounds like it's an easier read less than 100 pages he said i, I encourage you to find it under uh, until become.com and again uh, hikingfundraiser.com uh, go connect with darren and i'm sure you can find darren on linkedin but if you find him on linkedin don't connect with him and immediately sell him what you need to do with darren is you need to get to know the guy you need to buy his book you need to communicate with him and then along the way you form a relationship with darren and then ideally you guys might be able to do something out am i get that right darren right so right, we're yeah. not just connecting and selling so you've been a fantastic guest i'm uh, very grateful to have had you on the show today great job roland on getting this one we started the show three weeks ago the mm -hmm. kind of people that i have been meeting the stories that i'm learning 
I always say every good story deserves to be told. And there's so many great stories out there. And you are obviously one of them. So I'm very grateful to have you on today. If you wouldn't mind sticking around for one quick minute while I say goodbye to the crew. This is Keith live in the lab, live in the business athlete performance lab tuning us out today on a friday leaving the week i will be back in the lab next week monday through friday a ton of great guests ready to rock and roll so if you're catching us live on the live stream right now please tune in continue you know growing the show and, and bringing these great conversations to you as an audience i'm keith i'm live in the lab for sarah darren have a great weekend and we'll talk to you guys all on monday